everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Female Film Critics Panel. And we're so excited today to have another great group with us here to talk about our experiences being content creators and film critics and uh, in this crazy, crazy world that we are reporting in this in 2022. And I'm delighted to have with me Stacy from S. Yvonne Creative here. Hey, everyone. Hi. And we have Brittany at Pop Culture Reviews here. Hi. Yes. Thank you both so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And I'd like you both to, to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got started uh, reporting and becoming a, a critic. And so why don't you start, Stacey? Tell us a little about yourself. My name is Stacey Yvonne. I run S. Yvonne Creative. I'm a, a freelance entertainment journalist. So I've uh, submitted to outlets like Black Girl Nerds, Pride.com, uh, the Advocate, the Cherry Picks, the Geek Yeri, wherever they'll take me, <laughs> wherever they'll take my writing, I'm happy to give it to them. I'm also a member of the Hollywood Critics Association, so I'm very excited about that. And um, I'm originally from Nebraska, and uh, while I was there, I started working for the Geek Yeri, and I was getting interviews and kind of got the tip of, you know, hey, if you want, you know, better access, it would be good for you to move out to LA. And uh, we had a winter where it was negative 24 degrees wind chill. And I said, I cannot do this anymore. So I'm going to move. Just where am I going to move? And I was like, LA. So as soon as I got here, I hit the ground running and it's been great ever since. That's great. Uh, what about you, Brittany? How did you get started? Yeah, I would say my journey to film criticism has been a unique one. Um, I, I grew up in the arts and I grew up in dance and I grew up loving movies and acting on stage, but it was around 10th grade where I realized that I also really happened to love science. And so um, I'm going to fast forward all the way to 2018. I was actually awarded my PhD in organic chemistry. Wow. And so you're probably, you know, wondering like, how the heck did you end up in, in film criticism as well? Um, so Fun fact, I still do my J job, which is science and, and uh, project management and things like that. But it was also around that time where I realized, okay, I'm done with the stress of my PhD studies and my dissertation. It's time to get back into the arts. It's time to get back into the things I love, which is movies. And so I started my own website, popculturereviews.com, and it's been a journey ever since. Do you find yourself uh, critiquing the science in, in movies? Um, <laughs> you know what I do? I realize that with my scientific mind comes analytical writing. Um, so that is definitely being a part of my review process for sure. So Stacy, I noticed that you cover a lot of television. I was curious how you decide there's so many shows. Uh, how do you decide what you're gonna cover? It just depends on what kind of catches my fancy. Um, a lot of times it will be less of the show and more of the actor that's in it, or perhaps the writers or the showrunners, uh, the director behind it. But um, I always like to give as many shows as I can a chance, but I specifically focus on ones that either focus on uh, African-American, you know, issues or people, uh, LGBTQ or women. And those are kind of my three linchpins. And I try to fit everything into there. And then, of course, otherwise, it's just what's popular, what are people watching, etc. Yeah, I, I noticed, Britt, that you cover some gaming on your Twitch, I think it was. Uh, yeah. And uh, what is that experience like? Because there's not that many uh, women that I see at least that cover, that cover the gaming? Uh, the gaming world is a wild one to say the least. Um, for me though, I keep, I intentionally keep my community small. I'm not trying to become a huge Twitch star. That's just not my alley. That's not what, what I'm about. And so usually I end up just sending the link to my, um, my Twitter friends, if you will. Um, but it's been a journey. Uh, usually I'll just have people join me with um, 
and have conversations with me about the specific game that I've been playing. And luckily I have not run into trolls or, you know, people who like to shout out sex, sexist comments and things like that. So it's been a blast. Good. That's good. Uh, Stacey, I wanted to talk to you about a, on your Twitter, you had had a conversation about the West Side Story subtitle oh, yes. thing. And I thought it was interesting, the point that you made, you said that you felt like people were making issues out of things that are not issues. What don't you elaborate a little about what you were saying there? So I finally decided, let me sit down and watch West Side Story. <laughs> Let's see what all the hype is about. I'd seen the original and it was fine. It's not my favorite, but I understand why people love it. And I do love the Romeo Juliet kind of allegory of it all. And so as I was watching, um, it would get to the Spanish speaking characters and I watch everything with subtitles. And so it had, you know, the English subtitles, it would get to the Spanish speaking characters and it would just say speaking Spanish. And I was like, what, <laughs> like, what are we doing here? And it was very frustrating because I understand it's, it's, it's not necessarily that it's making a problem of something that's not a problem, but it is it is assuming that that problem has been resolved. And so we're talking, so from Spielberg's point of view or whatever, he was like, oh, well, I find it disrespectful to put uh, captions, to put uh, subtitles because the, um, because Spanish is the second most spoken language in this country. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if the, the implication was we should all know it but basically he was kind of saying, well, it's othering, it's othering to this language. But I said, I don't feel that it's othering if it's giving you access and understanding to that language. And so if we were already in a society where everybody spoke Spanish and we were still using Spanish subtitles, then we can talk about, oh, okay, you know, why are we doing this? But like, it's just not a part of this country that everybody speaks Spanish. Like, in fact, the concentrations of where you speak Spanish are very wildly and just, they don't go throughout the country. And so I said, you have this great movie and I know a little bit of Spanish, <laughs> un poquito, <laughs> but <laughs> I, um, and so I was able to pick up on some stuff, but I was like, I would love to understand what this whole line said so that, you know, cause I feel like someone wrote those you know someone wrote those lines and it, it just it seems like it's cutting off access to that at a time where again it's putting the cart kind of before the horse <laughs> it's yeah. like mm -hmm. let, let's this isn't the issue that we need to tackle let's let's tackle the issue of your leading man let's talk about that and then we can, I mean, but yeah so that's yeah. what that was my reasoning behind it I felt it I understand what they were trying to do, but it felt kind of even more disrespectful because then what you're telling people is, oh, well, you don't need to know it. Like, you know, it, you know, by their fiery language and, you know, by the way that they move, what they're saying. And it's like, dude, like, come on. Yeah, we need it's, to know. It's very strange. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Brittany, you love horror. I've seen you talk a lot about I horror <laughs> on your uh, on your Twitter. Um, what is it that, that you love particularly about horror? And have you found that the community of horror fans has been accepting of your uh, presence in the, of your thoughts and opinions on that? Oh, great questions. Um, so yes, you are correct. I am a horror gal through and through. And you know what? I don't, I don't have a favorite category. So you can break down horror into multiple categories. There's the gore, there's the, you know, the ones who concentrate on jump scares, there's the ghost stories and things like that. And I love them all equally. Although I do lean a little bit towards gore and I promise I'm not crazy. I just, <laughs> I think there's an art to making yeah. a great gory film. And it, I think it's a, a slightly underappreciated category within horror, but that's another conversation. But as far as the, the community of horror fans, I actually haven't run into um, many that are uh, a little, you know, cuckoo, but um, I, I would say I, I do recognize that within every fandom, there's 
some problematic people. I tend to try to stay away from them, but I do try to speak up when I see or hear something that is inappropriate to say, or if people, if I find that people are not accepting or calling someone a not a true horror fan, there's no room for that in any fandom. People can become a fan, they can be a fan day one, or they can come 10 years later, it doesn't matter. As long as you appreciate the art and you find things that you love, I think that's accepting. I'd like to speak to that if that's yeah, okay. Please. So um, I, my, one of my very first festivals that I attended was Scream Fest, and it's here in LA. And mind you, I'm not someone that likes horror movies, <laughs> but they gave me the opportunity and I was like, sure, you know, let's see what's what. And I really started to appreciate, you know, kind of the art form of it and how you can do camp and psychological and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, my second year of Scream Fest, there were suddenly entries that were created by women, by people of color, by LGBT that had LGBT themes. themes. And I really, really enjoyed that. And so I actually just recently wrote an article for the Cherry Picks about uh, diversity within horror and nice. how for so long they assumed that the horror audience was, you know, white and male, and so that white male, and then the women that were there were femme fatales, or, the or they were, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly, mm -hmm. or they were like, you know, just overly aggressive uh, protagonist, where, you know, it's like doing sit-ups and push-ups and all that <laughs> stuff, yeah. and so um, I, there's this year, especially, there is a crop, you know, from Nope to, um, of course, Scream, and uh, there's another one that Olivia Wilde is doing. It looks very good, but we're getting this crop of horror that is being made to suit a bigger, more universal audience, mm -hmm. and I love that the demographics of that has changed and yeah. that those demographics are being vocal about how to represent them. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that too. I I, I hope that every genre has has something for everybody and that we are starting to see more voices in every genre, which makes me happy. Uh, I did also notice Brittany that you recently did the uh, month of rom-coms. Uh Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounded like you became a fan. I, so. You know what? I, I used to be one of those, those gals who, uh, you know, rom-coms had never really appealed to me in the past. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was just a phase in my life where I'm like, I don't love love or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but this year I decided to clear my mind, start fresh, and then just go to town in the month of February, watching as many rom-coms as I could. And I kind of fell in love with the genre and I'm so excited about it because this year it really felt like there were some quality content out there. So I am a rom-com fan now. It's it's in the history books. <laughs> well, we're finally getting them back. I mean, for a long time, the only place you could find practically rom-coms was at Hallmark Channel or on, or on Lifetime or whatever. Right. Uh, and there weren't very many in the uh, that were theatrically released for years. Uh, right. But we have Marry Me and I Want You Back and... Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we have uh, coming up the Lost City, which I actually am seeing today as a thing tonight too. <laughs> yeah, exciting. I'm going to a screening tonight, so I'm excited yeah. about that. Yeah, but um, sure. I want you back was so good. Wasn't it great? It was. I really it was. enjoyed it, and again, effortless diversity. That is what mm -hmm. I'm always looking for. So there's a difference between colorblind casting, <laughs> which we get, which is like representation, but it's not in or it's not even representation well, it's, it's like insertion. Hamilton or Bridgerton or well, something like that Hamilton kind of has a a meaning behind it and um well that's more on the side of effortless diversity um when I talk about colorblind casting I know technically that's what it is but what I'm thinking more of is you know that one black girl in Gossip Girl and, okay. and the yeah. only way that you know she's black is because she happened to see that she has dark skin. Everything else is Gossip okay. Girl. Yeah, and the numbers game. Yeah. Exactly. And so what I loved about I Want You Back is that they had different cultures represented. And yes, it's mm -hmm. all very American, but you could tell like they were at a, a, a 
uh, was it a quinceanera? Someone's birthday. I don't know. <laughs> it might have been oh. a birthday or a quinceanera, but they talked about like, oh, I'm going to yeah. miss this quinceanera, you know, and it's just something that you don't see a lot in mainstream right. shows. And so I love that inclusion. Cheaper by the Dozen is another one that gets it right. It's very um, interesting with that too. So. I'm going to have the that diversity way. in that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, I. What do you think about that, Brittany, about the uh, sort of the increased diversity and casting that we've been seeing? Um, I'm always welcoming of, of diversity. Um, I mean, I am a Black woman. So to be able to see mm-hmm. myself on screen in a multitude of stories, not just you know, trauma porn, which is what Hollywood thinks we want and thinks we need, but it is not. (laughs) Let me put it on record. That is not what we want. We want to see ourselves in love stories. We want to see ourselves in, you know, the dramas or let's follow us on a day to day. Um, So I, I, I welcome them. And I agree with Stacey that they need to be intentional in the type of storytelling that they, that they put out instead of just adding a a cast member as a numbers game instead of giving a good narrative behind their choices. So, yeah, what I thought was so great about Bridgerton and we have season two coming up, but the Mm -hmm. season one was that they just decided they're not going to care about being historically accurate at all. Right. And so they're just going to make, they're going to make a show that is as titillating to as many women as possible. Right. And so if it's something that will provide more joy to, to a particular, to a woman, then they're going to do that. And I, I wrote in um, my, uh, my review, I said, I said, if a black woman will get more pleasure out of seeing the handsome Duke of Hastings be a black man, then that's what they're going to do. This isn't about realism or historical accuracy. It doesn't waste time explaining casting choices or set or, or settings. It's about eroticism, lust, and luxury, which all has to be hid under the rules of the time. That's very sexy and fun. So I think yeah, that they I like didn't that. do bad on the casting at all. No, so. they did not. <laughs> He's, he's great to look at. <laughs> yeah. And when, when, uh, the first season came out, I said on Twitter, I said, it almost seems ridiculous to me that a man would review this show and obviously they can review it, but it was to me, at least it was so clearly made to satisfy women and to be entertaining for women. Uh, even in the way that the sensuality was shot, in my opinion, was very, they say the female gaze, but I think it was true. It was shot in the way I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen anything shot the way that the, that Bridgerton was shot. Uh, And I don't, I just, it just seemed, it was just seemed ridiculous to me. Why would, why would a man be interested in the show? I don't know. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit more when we talk about turning red, but um, the idea that a man probably wouldn't review that show but they should be able to if if given the thing and the issue right now though is that we say sure sure but they will be like oh no I can't what are you talking about I can't relate to that I don't know what that means I don't know what that feels like you know it's just like uh but you can approximate (laughs) like you can give it a little bit of thought and Mm -hmm. so yeah but no when it um during the press conference uh one of the things just kind of general overarching things that they were like the women are really the ones who have the power in Bridgerton yeah the women are the re- ones who really have the power and the men are trying to find themselves whereas the women are very kind of self-actualized mm-hmm. and you know when you talk about kind of uh understanding the audience you know understanding the assignment <laughs> and yeah. turning it in on time they really went above and beyond I think so definitely Well, one thing I wanted to ask both of you is first, what do you think is most important when writing a review? Kind of what's your process for writing or uh, being on a podcast or whatever? What's kind of your, your thought process? What do you think, Brittany? Um, I'm actually going to say something that I hate to see is just a recap of the entire movie. Right. Um, I've come across some reviews where they feel like they just need to rehash what happens in the first third or half of the movie, and they don't really get into the 
nitty gritty of what went well or what you know could have been improved in the entire filmmaking process or the actual narrative um and so that that's kind of my big oh that yeah. sucks that they wrote that like that um and then um on the flip side of that my favorite thing to talk about is anything thematic within a film. You know, if it's a love story, are they finding them their true selves before they dive into a relationship? You know, if it's a tragedy, what are they learning through that process? Things like that. I, I love uh, diving into thematic approaches in terms of storytelling. Uh, what do you think, Stacey? For myself, it's funny, I, I love that you asked that because I'm still fairly new to all of this. And I know when I started, there was very little oversight. And so, you know, and that was in Nebraska. So I was just running off at the mouth saying whatever, <laughs> and just kind of being really kind of critical, which I think does have value and does have a place. But then also when you get here and you kind of meet those people and you start kind of being in those circles, you're like, okay, well, you know, these are people and they were trying to accomplish something at the end of the day. So really finding that fine line between saying, I respect that you did this work, but this is what worked and this is what didn't, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and kind of expecting that same respect back. Um, a very good example of that was uh, The Last Duel. Um, Jodie Comer, amazing. Ben Affleck, excellent, awesome in it. That movie was a hot mess, <laughs> but it's really, Scott, you know, it's, it's extremely well done. It's extremely well made but there were some problematic elements where I was just like, ooh, this was not for me. And so it was, but I ended up giving it like a four out of five or something like that. And my uh, editor was like, you know, why did you give it such a high rating? I said, because it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. I just didn't like, it, you know, and yeah. so I was like I, trying to trying to rate it on its merits and on mm -hmm. what I know that they were trying to go for versus trying to rate on how that was executed. And so it's it's very interesting. It's a movie that I probably won't watch again, but I wouldn't mind talking to someone about it or even recommending it to somebody. And so uh, the hardest part for me is kind of finding that middle area. Um, when I do read reviews, I like a recap as long as it fits into the discussion of their theme. So if they're talking about like a certain scene, then, you know, I, I don't mind them giving kind of the context for that background. But mm -hmm. I know, and I know I was guilty of this at first, was kind of going through the whole movie and then like trying to omit things to not do spoilers and, you know, just yeah. all that <laughs> stuff. So it's it's an art. It's an it art. It was interesting. Mm -hmm. I I recently did my first uh, theater review, uh, professional theater review, awesome. um, and uh, for a local production here in uh, in Utah. And I I sent it in, and they came back and they were like, "We need more details, more details, more details." They wanted me to pretty much talk about every single character. They wanted me to talk about. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it was just interesting because it's so different than right. what I typically find that people want for film. That. <laughs> you know, you have to be so careful about, you know, not giving away any spoilers and, and <laughs> it's so yeah. hard. I remember after I got out of the Spider-Man movie, I was, I was like, I don't even know, how do I write about this? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stuff happened. Like, it was impossible. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, but going back to, uh, if I may, um, Stacey, I just wanted to commend you on your comments about, uh, you know, rating a movie high because you really do value it on its merits alone. And, but being able to remove yourself from that picture or that idea and, and be able to put through cohesive thoughts to say, you know, this is a good movie and this is all the things that they did right. Um, you know, it's not for me, but it is a good movie and it was well, you know, there's a lot of accomplishments here. I just wanted to, to say thank you because, you know, not a lot of people would be not only be able to say that um, out loud and admit that, you know, sometimes they have to remove themselves from that situation. But um, the fact that you go through it and you execute it, I, I love that. So thank you. The work in progress. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you also have to ask yourself, what is this movie trying to do? Mm -hmm. Who is it made for? And is it successful? 
in, in reaching that audience. Right. So I'm not going to have the same kind of review when I'm reviewing Paw Patrol, the movie compared to the power of the dog. Right. right. <laughs> like, that, <laughs> dogs in their titles, but they're very different films. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. You saw that cinematography in Paw Patrol, girl. Yeah. They both tug at the heartstrings. I mean, we know that, but uh, you kind of have to ask yourself, did it succeed in doing what it was trying to do? Is it going mm-hmm. to appeal to its audience? Is it going to, and then your last question is, or my last question is, did I enjoy it? Mm-hmm. And I, I actually didn't give a positive review to the last duel. Uh, I just, it, to me, it just felt super repetitive and I didn't feel like it did anything very interesting with that repetition. Um, I, yeah, it seemed very mismanaged to me. On a thematic level, you have this woman who has been abused and then you, you show it twice in full, but then you give her the shortest, (laughs) the shortest section at the end to tell her truth. And it's just like, okay, guys. And I think covering Sundance all these years that I've covered it, because I'm here in Utah, so it's easy for me to cover Sundance. I've covered it now six years and I think that that kind of helps you sort of remove the uh, the glossy varnish of like artsy films, right? Like artsy yeah. films can be terrible. They can be <laughs> terrible <laughs> and it's okay to they say can. so and it's okay to have an opinion. And, but yeah, I mean, I also do agree that there's no reason to be mean, even in a passionate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. review even in something yeah. that you feel very strongly about that you really didn't like there's no reason to to be unkind to the people that uh there's a difference you can say you you can stick to the film and then and not you know there's no reason to be mean to the filmmakers or the other people right. involved. absolutely yeah yeah, I, I did notice, uh, Stacy, you have done a number of interviews, including interviewing Patty Jenkins. I believe I saw that on the site. Not with Patty Jenkins. Okay. Was I was thinking that? that was on the Black Girls. Maybe was it someone else? It was probably someone else. Yes, yeah. I do a lot of interviews. But I do a lot of interviews too, so I can relate to that. And it is hard sometimes to not have those personal experiences impact your objective critique of the film as a critic. I usually I end up interviewing somebody before I see the movie. So that helps, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I, I, I try to, I don't know, keep it to, to just their experiences working on the project. Cause you know, I don't like, even if I don't love the film, I'm still interested in how it got made and what it was like right. and yeah i think it's interesting you said that one of my very first interviews was with the director and um it was a review slash interview it was at the time that i was kind of testing the hybrid model and i was like is this gonna work is it not but in that case it was very hard because um you know i talked to her and she was lovely and i really enjoyed her vision and where she wanted to go, where she wanted to end up. I just don't, didn't think that that particular project accomplished that. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, not necessarily ripping it to shreds, but being like, okay, you know, I, this wasn't effective and this wasn't productive and da, 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 da. And then I saw that person later and it kind of gave me the cold shoulder. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's a thing that could happen. <laughs> But, you know, know. yeah, it's just one of those things where it's, it's a fine line. You got to do the job in the end. I mean, and Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully most people can respect that. And we try to, on Hallmarkies podcast where I do most of my interviews, we try to keep it kind of light and fun and, you know, Mm -hmm. never be too, even for a movie that I really don't like uh, that still kind of usually there's enough people there's like one of my co-hosts will like it or it kind of all balances out. I, I really don't like when we have an episode where I dislike all of the films, then I just feel like, oh, um, but I have uh, to tell a, a crazy, crazy story. And this one, I actually don't mind naming names because uh-huh. my review is out there and I doubt I will ever <laughs> talk to these people again. 
but uh, Me You Madness starring <laughs> Louise Linton and Ed Westwick mm-hmm. at the height of messiness for both of them. <laughs> and I was like, mm. how am I going to do this interview? Because I watched the movie and I was like, oh, no, no, no. And then <laughs> we had the interview after. And she was like, how'd you like it? And I was like, it was ambitious. <laughs> it must have been and a challenging word to use. <laughs> right. And she, uh, you know, and it was very funny because even the answers that she gave me fed so much into what I was expecting and what I had written out about this narrative. It was just like down to the T, like you are exactly proving <laughs> this case. Mm-hmm. And so that was one where um, I think my outlet, we kind of buried it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, let's just kind of tuck that in the back and if they see it, they see it. If not, it's cool. But it was one where, you know, it was just, it was harsh, but I was like, yeah, I, you know, tried to be as not necessarily impartial, but just tried to be fair. And it's like, yes, I know what you're doing, but no, this wasn't the way to do it. <laughs> Sorry, boo. So my next question is, are you optimistic about the state of film or pessimistic? I mean, because there are reasons to be optimistic. There are so many places to present films these days that there never was before. So if you have a, a, a niche audience, there's a platform for you to present that film these days. And also just filming itself is, is as cheap as it's ever been. I mean, there's been multiple movies shot on iPhones. Uh, and so there is, I think, things to be optimistic about. But then, of course, we've got, you know, theaters uh, struggling. Uh, the, the, you know, a lot of them are just kind of starting to get their <laughs> their uh, footings again. Um, and, uh, you know, just the franchises and IPs, everything has to be an IP. Uh there, there's reasons to be pessimistic as well. And so I'm just curious, what do you think, Brittany? Where do you stand? You know, I am the ever optimist. Um, so I'm going to stick with that. I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future of film. Um, and there's a lot of kind of sub conversations we can have out of this. But when I think about things like, you know, theaters, maybe not doing as well as they were pre-pandemic, let's say, I think about streaming services and how that now has provided a lot of access to people who can't get to theaters. And to have those conversations, we have to talk about accessibility and what is now available to so many people who couldn't get to theaters before. And so with films um, also comes a lot more variety and it has been a lot more variety these days with diversity, um, making more LGBTQT, uh, films, making more films centered around women, directed by women, writing, written by women. Um, just so many stories that are made by and for people of color and things like that. And so um, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think the future is bright because of all of those things I just mentioned. And of course, there's, there's going to be blocks in the road. Um, now I'm sounding like a, a coach here, but there's going to be <laughs> you know, some rough patches and things like that. But I think there are enough people yearning for, for different storytelling and, and diverse stories that, that we're going to be okay on the other end. What do you think, Stacey? Got a little sappy there. (laughs) Put some music behind it. (laughs) So after, you know, during, well, with all the Me Too exposure, during that time, I said I loved it because a lot of the old guard was starting to leave and get kicked out. And we were getting this new guard where we were getting more diverse people behind the camera. Ultimately, that's where change is going to lie, is behind the camera, who is even down to the crew, making sure that there are more people of color there, making sure that there are more people of kind of disparate communities and backgrounds there. And so in that regard, I think things are slowly getting better. Um, But I also feel like I always tell people this. I was like, America is a very young country when, you know, when all is said and done, if looking at it from a worldview, we're very much in our uh, preteen stage, (laughs) you know, and so you're going to 
we're going to go through a stage of backlash. And I think it's going to be, I mean, and this was one of my controversial things that we're going to talk to, but this uh, 25 White Men by Christopher Nolan, whatever this movie is. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. casting every white dude in Hollywood. You're just like, okay, what, what's going on? What are you doing? <laughs> and so, you know, you, you're going to have some people really kind of making mistakes, trying to figure it out. But ultimately, I think once we get over that hump, um, it will, it will write itself life finds way and how that goes i just think there are going to be some shenanigans getting there <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah you put it better than me i try to take the the nice road. <laughs> <laughs> well the hard part i think sometimes of course you have the outright racism that obviously exists but then there's also the more like subtle problems where you have people that are just used to working with their friends yeah. right mm-hmm. they they have their people they have their cinematographer they have their writers they have their that they're used to working with it's easy to work with them they you know they're a call away they know they know what product that person is going to produce right mm-hmm. so getting them to say don't work with your friends this time work with this other person that's a person of color that's a woman that's yeah. might provide a new interesting perspective on your project and do as equally a good job as your friend, right? Mm-hmm. Or so even getting better, them... get some friends that are people of color. Yeah. <laughs> get some friends that look different from you. Right? Yeah. So stop just using the same people over and over again that you're used to working with. Get outside your comfort zone and work with with new people. And mm-hmm. I mean, I th- I think that sometimes that getting those patterns to change is sometimes I think the the most powerful thing that you can do. Uh, of, of, you know, anything. Well, you hit the nail on the head. It's a pattern Mm -hmm. and patterns can be very tough to break, but they can be broken. I was actually talking with someone about this and I said, there are certain directors where you're like, they have their niche. I don't need, uh, I don't need, um, oh no, oh, Wes Anderson to write an MLK film. I don't need that. (laughs) I want Wes Anderson (laughs) to write about quirky white people and, you know, the one black man that's hanging around. That's perfectly fine with me. That's his niche. That's his thing. That's what he knows. But when you have someone, who was the guy who was directing Noah? Uh, Oh yeah. Um, I remember he was like, I couldn't, I couldn't hire black people or people of color because but even Wes Anderson. I mean, Jeffrey Wright was probably the best thing in the French dispatch. Exactly. He was great. It was mm-hmm. so good. It was so good. And, but before Jeffrey Wright, it was Danny Glover. <laughs> it was yeah. like, oh, it yeah. was just that one character. And I'm like, you know what, if that's all, you know, I'll take it. It's fine. <laughs> I love Moonrise Kingdom. I don't even know if there was a black person in there. They might've been <laughs> in the background, but I'm not <laughs> yeah. expecting that from him. But where I am yeah. expecting it from is places where there were actually people of color or mm-hmm. where it's just easy to put in a person of color, you know, and not yeah. worry about like, oh, no, I think friend. it's Darren Aronofsky. There we go. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I absolutely agree. I think it for me, it all goes back to my appreciation for the streaming service that might, you know, be able to provide that opportunity for someone who might not get it with Christopher Nolan, for example. We should keep, for sure, putting the pressure on these big names to say, like, hey, you know, diversify your portfolio. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But but I am am grateful for all these variety of stories that are on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu and things like that. I just need them to up the ante on the quality, you know, um, so that, you know, <laughs> but well, yeah. That's, that's kind of another issue when we talk about streaming services, because even within streaming services, they really are networks. When you mm-hmm. talk and we talk about Netflix, we talk about Amazon Prime, we talk about Hulu, we talk about Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus, and you go to each one for very specific things when it comes yeah. to programming. And so I I don't mind that so much, except when you get into streaming services that are that established, mm-hmm. there is no ceiling. 
enough will never be enough. Like already there was an article that was like, oh, Netflix is thinking about charging extra for people on your account and, you know, people sharing passwords. And I'm like, you make billions of dollars. (laughs) You're so rich. Let people watch your stuff. Like why, Mm -hmm. why does it mean like, cause it's not like, oh my God, we're running out of money. We can't make any more movies. You're fine. You're doing fine. (laughs) So it's just such a weird thing. I actually don't even understand how Netflix makes money because they don't have any <laughs> advertising and they hardly charge anything. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, in the grand scheme when they're making these hundred million dollar projects, these huge, and we know that they have like unbelievable debt, but they gotta be making a product profit somewhere. Like, I don't know. It's, it is kind of weird. It. I don't, and I, same thing with Disney plus, like, I don't really understand how Disney plus is profitable. Um, well, because I mean, they have the uh, the premium day release things that they did. They tried yeah. that, but it's just so like, wow. much content for so <laughs> much small fee. But uh, but I guess they they all want to get in the game, so it must be profitable. I just don't quite understand how the math all works. But but anyway, uh, but yeah. Um, well, let's talk about our unpopular opinions. I we mm-hmm. always like to end the uh, we talk about some unpopular opinions, and that's something that we're proud of that we've made. So I have had, I feel like nothing but unpopular opinions since <laughs> 2022. <laughs> I, I I I did really like I Want You Back. I liked a couple movies at the festivals, but even some popular movies at Sundance, like Cha Cha Real Smooth, I wasn't a big fan of that everyone loved so much. Um, oh my god, me too. Yeah, really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was I, know, I, just, I really particularly didn't like the ending. I was just annoyed with, I, I felt like they were trying to pass off her, I, got, I don't know what that was. I felt they were trying to pass off Dakota Johnson's ending as being a happy ending. And I'm like, no, that was not a happy ending for her character. <laughs> for me, at least. Anyway, so I was yeah, just that like, like Ew, that left a mess, sour but... taste in my mouth. <laughs> I just feel like I've had a lot of unpopular opinions lately. I didn't like the Batman. I mean, I, I, I was a mixed bag on the Batman. I was a mixed bag on turning red. I, I mean, I, I didn't like uncharted. Um, yeah, there's just I don't think lot. you're alone on that one, girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not great. And, uh, so I've just been waiting for that first movie of 2022 that I like really loved, but of course, a lot of the ones that I did love, I really saw in 2021 and now they're being least like I loved Cyrano and I love Tick Tick mm. Boom and I love mm-hmm. uh Belle, the anime Belle. I love that. Um so there were things I liked, but I know I just Did feel like I've had yet? a lot of unpopular opinions lately. And and uh, not to get into something I'm proud of, but I I feel like I've handled those unpopular opinions better than maybe I have in the past. <laughs> uh, that you know sometimes I, like I would that. get maybe a little bit defensive I would feel a little bit because it's hard especially in superhero movies to have an unpopular opinion but uh but I feel <laughs> like I managed to get through the storm fairly mm-hmm. unscathed nice which I'm grateful for <laughs> that's very good um what about you Brittany what's your unpopular opinion um as far as movies like what I like and what I don't like I don't really be caring what people think what, what I, about what I like and don't like, to be all the way honest. I love so that. I'm going to go, I'm going to go slightly left. It's still about film. Um, and I, I, I'm curious about your two answers too. What do you think about people or filmmakers, directors making a story that might not be for them? So for example, what if a what if Martin Scorsese wanted to make a story about a black couple who, I, I don't know, a, a black romance couple, that's something Scorsese would totally not do. But um, what do you think about generally, um, you know, filmmakers taking on projects that are not in their domain, if you will? Because yeah, I, I feel like think? there's room I feel like there's room for um, creators to tell stories as long as they bring in people to keep them in check. That if you're going to write about a Black woman, a Black woman better be in your writing room. If you're going to write about a gay man, a gay man needs to be in your writing room. There's, there's all sorts of ways that we can be inspired by 
stories or other people's stories or other people's lives. But if you're not bringing them on to keep you in check, I think that's where people go wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at Encanto as an interesting example uh, where they uh, it is directed by a white man, but they they had a whole committee uh, the, I forget what they call it, the cultural appreciation or something like that. Anyway, they are a committee of people from Columbia, uh, Colombian experts g- guiding them throughout the whole thing, even like little things like the way the tiles are designed in the house and the way that, mm-hmm. I mean, just every little detail. And, uh, I think that that makes a big difference. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. And then not just bringing them in the room, paying them for their service. Oh yeah. Definitely. Even more important. Stacey, what do you think? I completely agree. That was my caveat is that, okay, if you're going to do it, I want, I don't want just one person either. I don't, and I don't Mm -hmm. want it to be your one black friend that you grew up with. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, like someone whose job this actually is, because there are people who have that job, Mm -hmm. get someone whose job to actually come in and consult and then make sure that that is a part of it. But then also, conversely uh actually wait I'll, I'll save mine for my my uh unpopular opinions but yes I do I I find that to be very interesting um I understand where it can get harried but I feel like mm-hmm. if the checks and balances are there it can be done successfully yeah yeah I mean I hate to think that somebody is not allowed to tell a particular story or isn't allowed to write a particular story or you know be involved i'd hate to go that far to say we're not but and then on the other hand i also think that we need to be careful i guess yeah yeah, yeah. the best case scenario is if you absolutely need to tell a story then you need to create spaces for people to join your team yeah and be able to to actually help see that story come to life in the most appropriate way possible. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Stacey, what's your unpopular opinion? Oh my goodness. That you wanted to share? Uh, (laughs) Um, So, oh goodness, where do I start? She's like, how many can I say? Listen, (laughs) I, so I've been refusing to look into this. So (laughs) this is going to be an uninformed, unpopular opinion. But Chris Nolan, what's going on? (laughs) Every casting announcement has been two to three more white men that you are putting into this movie. I don't Mm -hmm. even know what the movie is. I don't know why it is this way. So the movie is called Oppenheimer and it's about the Manhattan Project Ah. uh, in World War II. So there is an argument to be made that it was, you know, this is about true, this is a true story about real people. And I know that there were some of the engineers and some of the people involved were people of color, but uh, there was predominantly white people. But then again, yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky situation. Yeah, my well, big concern. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say my big concern is how accurate is he trying to get? Because we always, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, always hear about some story how there were some undercover Black scientists who yeah. was kind of behind something sure. the whole time. And I just, I'm always concerned about stories like this where it's a predominantly white cast about something important in history. And we're not doing our due diligence to look up, you know, who the main playing characters were in those those points of history. Um, not to say that like I need a black person to create to have created the the nuclear bomb or anything and stuff like that. <laughs> but but yeah. I, I just I I care about accuracy as a scientist, and I I want to know like did he do his due diligence in terms of looking up that information? Yeah. Well, the I funny thing is there's a podcast called Ars Paradoxica mm-hmm. and it's fantastic and it's all it's time travel and all that good stuff but a lot of it deals with the Manhattan Project mm-hmm. and it's a podcast and it's extremely diverse again across all levels while mm-hmm. still being factually like accurate you know the things that happened could definitely have happened and probably did in some forms and so that's why when I kind of see, when I see all these casting calls, a lot of people, you know, started making their little assumptions about why he's 
doing this or yeah. why it's being released in this way. And it's just like, okay, I see you. Okay, <laughs> Chris and Chris. Um, my other pet peeve was uh, there were a bunch of people giving, well, not a bunch. There was probably one in particular, but uh, that gave Turning Red a negative review saying that they couldn't relate to it. Yeah. And oh yeah, we all weak, remember that tweet. <laughs> that is not a great argument. Uh, it's it's a poor argument because there's a million movies that are about oh, so many children that I mean, like you could say Logan or To Kill a Mockingbird, or there's tons that we relate to very much, and yet we're not, you know, children. Uh, it's it for me the 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 thing that was lacking in turning red was I just thought the metaphor was very muddy I I didn't think it was well executed and I didn't think the script was very good but it didn't have anything to do with not being able to relate to it I applauded all of the the diversity and also I think it's great that we're talking yeah. about I don't understand how is it possible there's only like two movies ever made that talk about a girl and getting her period it's insane so. I, I, I think that's great. I think, but I just don't think they executed that well personally. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, that was a very weak argument that that critic made. Yeah, it was, it was rough. <laughs> and then to see tr people trying to defend it, it's like, come on guys, we're, we're, yeah. we should be past this. Yeah, I, rem I remember seeing a thread and this was a woman taking up for him saying like, we shouldn't be trying to cancel. Why everybody, first of all, why is everybody always trying to use that word just because somebody has to face the consequences of their action? Exactly. No one's talking about canceling. We're talking about why, as an editor, did, did, not, did someone not check you? That's mm. what we're talking about. I do think sometimes the pylon can be a little counterproductive, you know, when it's just like so big that I think it can kind of make people entrench in their opinions instead of learning and making it a learning opportunity. And uh, so, but you know, that's the internet for you. That's yeah, maybe get. I have, this is where my unpopular opinion comes in too, because I think people tend to use the pile on to, to put on their victim tears, mm -hmm. um, just because people, you know, say like, hey, this is where, and it's gonna, it's gonna come from a lot of people, especially if you say something inappropriate on the internet, which is available to a, a lot of people. But yeah. if you if you say something inappropriate, a lot of people are going to want to put their two cents in and say like, hey, here's why you might not want to say things like that. Um, but what I don't like is them then saying like, oh, I'm getting all this attack in different directions. And so now I am the victim. And then mm -hmm. everybody completely loses sight of what we're arguing about in the first place. And this is very, and you know, I'm kind of getting heated here. That's why I just say, it, yeah. I think it becomes counterproductive. It just becomes a mess. Yeah, I I, well, one yeah. thing I just wanted to say one more, um, a lot of people do this when it comes to racism. And so that's why I'm pretty passionate about this type of subject is because when, you know, people check you on your racist or your, your racist comments or microaggressions, then everybody wants to say, okay, now this has turned into bullying. And it's like, well, well, no, you're more upset that they're getting a lot of commentary instead of what they actually said. And right. so it becomes just a, a ugly cycle of nothing getting done and nothing being talked about. Well, there's a saying that says something to the effect of um, if a wolf, you know, if a pack of wolves howl at the moon, you know, that's normal. But if the moon howls back, <laughs> then we oh, have yeah. an issue. Yeah. And <laughs> it's it's one of those things where people, and it, they get defensive and then they think, oh, well, you know, that was just meant, that wasn't meant for all of you to see, even though I put it on the internet. For mm -hmm. me, I think my internet is me and my followers and the people that I follow. I didn't know it was like worldwide. And it's like, oh, come on, guy. Like, yeah. save that for the group chat. Let's <laughs> let's try it in the group chat first, then move it to the Yeah, should have stayed in the draft. Right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, so we're going to talk next about something that you're proud of. And I actually am really proud of my turning red and my the batman reviews i felt like i i felt like they were well written i feel like i explained my point of view well and i and again i feel like the fact that i didn't get a lot of pushback on either of them hopefully says that i did a good job i'm um, not that i didn't do a good job in the past when i did get a lot of pushback but 
I, I don't know, maybe I've learned and become a better writer. I hope so. That's my goal. Uh, and I, I obviously I was anxious because I don't like any death threats and I don't like those Mm -hmm. experiences, but I got to be true to my opinion and what I felt. And I just felt like they were pretty well written. So I was proud of myself for those reviews. Awesome. Let me give you some snaps for that. Sorry, I was a, soror- I was a sorority girl. So it's coming up. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, what about you, Brittany? What's something you're proud of that you've written or, or done, participated oh, in? Dear. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to just the fact that I've kind of revamped how I approach film criticism. So you know, I, I told you that I have a day job, which was being a full-time scientist, project manager, global project manager, program manager. So it's it's very hard to keep up with film criticism on the side, but I feel like I have a nice, you know, streamlined process for myself established. And it feels good to be organized and in a place where I can balance two worlds and two essential jobs, essentially. So it feels good. I feel like I, I'm now in a, in a timeline where I can do both. And that feels good. I can have it all, if you will. (laughs) That's great because you provide a really unique perspective and we need it. So I'm grateful that you figured that out. That's great. Thank you. Uh, So Stacey, what about you? What's something you made that you're proud of that you think was great? I am uh, very much still in process of trying to get on Brittany's level when it comes to being organized. I also have a full-time job outside of this and thankfully it provides me some flexibility, but there are days when I'm like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. But um, (laughs) recently, one of the things I was, um, there are a couple of things, but the biggest one was um, I got to interview Janixa Bravo um, director of Zola, which was easily nice. one of my favorite films um, last year. And then uh, she has just always been like a dynamo to me. You know, she's always been somewhere I'm like, I've, I've always been fascinated mm-hmm. by her. And so to be able to talk and to really kind of get into the nitty gritty and really, really just kind of get into it. She was so authentic and so real. And it was easily one of my favorite articles to write. And then um, I randomly, (laughs) when it's funny, when you talk about Hollywood, it's so much about who you know and Mm -hmm. random connections and, oh, you know, so-and-so and and they worked on so-and-so and and that kind of thing. And so um, I commented on this person's Instagram and they were like, oh yeah, by the way, do you, do you do writing? Like, do you know, TV writing? And I was like, yes. Well, I have this huge no blaring above my head. (laughs) (laughs) Never done this before. I'm like, I can do it. Sure. And so it basically segued into me writing a script for um, this show. very exciting and it was basically kind of the inner it's like a dinner and a movie type show and so they have these Mm -hmm. segments in the middle so I have to write those out and provide sources and we pow out and everything yes (laughs) thank you I was so so happy and I was like okay now this I know that this is what I want to do and now I know kind of how to go about it when mm-hmm. we're talking about um, entertainment especially living in Nebraska so much of it is second hand and so much yeah. of it seems inaccessible unless you're like oh I'm gonna go to school for journalism and I'm going to make yeah. a new show and it's just like no I don't want to do that <laughs> so it's it was great seeing that because mm-hmm. you know in, if in order to be it you have to see it and that was my that was my see it moment so it's oh, very that's cool. cool so it was like a play oh not a play um it's a show it's a, oh, show. It's a um, show yep it's on reverie it's called queer classics oh. and uh it's like dinner in a movie and so they show the movie and then they have these segments in oh between. okay i got it and um uh this one was the watermelon woman and we got to interview mm. cheryl dunier and mm-hmm. it was absolutely fabulous it's still out so feel free to check right. it out on oh reverie. awesome that's oh, really cool steps. and yeah. my name was in the credits so I was like, oh that's so exciting <laughs> thank you. oh that must have been a great feeling congratulations yeah. thank yeah. you thank you <laughs> well this has been such a great discussion i really appreciate you both coming on this was so much fun to get to know both of you and uh, i really appreciate it so uh, stacy how can people find you follow you on social media your content 
Twitter, Instagram at Sticky Keys, S-T-I-C-K-Y-K-E-Y-S. It's a very long nerdy story about the name, but one day I'll share it. <laughs> and, and then um, my main website is S Yvonne Creative, S-Y-V-O-N-N-E creative.com and um, that's basically the hub for all of my work so you can get links and see where I'm writing everything will be there as I'm setting it up so <laughs> and Brittany how can people find you yeah they can find me on twitter um at bb18180 also a very nerdy uh, <laughs> story behind that which I'm shaking my head about but we're gonna talk about that later <laughs> Um, and then you can also find majority of my work at popculturereviews.com. Um, and then as Stacy, uh, you can find the rest of my stuff from that central location. And make sure you check out all of the previous episodes of Female Film Critics Panel. This is our 23rd episode. So there's some amazing women that we've had the chance, I've had the chance to talk with. And you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So please take a look at that. Also, make if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. I really appreciate that. And if you are watching YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Appreciate that so much. Also check out the Hallmarkies podcast. We have a lot of fun over there and I get to hear a lot of my interviews over there at Hallmarkies podcast. And we have the Patreon group merch store. Check all that out. Thanks again, ladies. And you can even get this female film critic panel shirt, Ooh, design, which is really fun. <laughs> check that out. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.